ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, Norman, it has been a couple of weeks since we've last done an episode of CoronaCast and we're back, but only briefly and with a little bit of saddish news. Yeah, this is the last CoronaCast. Now, don't start crying, everybody, because <laughs> Tegan's got some great news for you. It is good news. So for starters, we've got a proper episode today with information about the latest statistics and sort of where to from here for COVID. But also, I mean, CoronaCast has always been about people sending in their questions. And the show that we're going to be doing right here from next week is all about answering questions, but not just about COVID, about health. And we'll have more information for that at the end of this last CoronaCast episode. Well, let's get into it. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. And we're both today on Gadigal Land. We are. And it's one of the few times we've both been on Gadigal Land. I think I could count them on one hand. So we heard last week, Norman, that we are in the eighth wave of COVID in Australia. Someone is keeping count of these things. I certainly wasn't. It sort of seems like a lot and also not enough. But what is the shape of this wave looking like at this stage? Well, it's early days, but it has been rising for the last few weeks. Um, by the way, the government is stopping weekly reporting of COVID, so you will only know monthly now what's going to happen. That feels like a very long interval. Like, we were having daily reports for a while there, and then when they dropped back to weekly, it was like, oh, you know, this data's not coming in as quickly. How does that compare to other diseases? Well, this is no longer a communicable disease of national importance. That's the other thing that's happened since yeah. CoronaCast has been off air. You see, we go off air and the whole place goes to pot. I mean, the problem here is you can understand why they're trying to de-escalate this for one reason, which is that it reduces the bureaucratic load. But there are new subvariants emerging all the time. And um, if we're not monitoring this, and we're still in a pandemic mode. So this is still a pandemic. It's not seasonal. It's coming in waves and predictably in waves. And yes, we're in the middle of another wave, and I'll come back to your question in a minute about how significant this wave is. Um, And it will continue coming in waves. And if we turn our back to it, ignore it, um, a nasty variant could emerge and we get caught napping. It's an interesting point you make about the bureaucratic load, though, because that is a cost and you are always balancing cost to benefit. And there's a lot of diseases around. Like, are you making the argument or are the people that you're speaking to making the argument that it's worth the cost to keep going at a weekly cadence? Well, they clearly don't think it's worth the cost to keep it going at a weekly cadence because we've been lulled into this Omicron environment and Mm. the variants at the moment are not all Omicron, although we're not seeing a serious rise of a non-Omicron virus such as BA 2.86. But the... um, This is still not a stable virus. It's still mutating. And if you come to the variants at the moment that are circulating, well, let me just give you the the statistics Mm. and we can just see how we're going. So in the last week of reporting, 23.6% increase in cases around Australia on a rolling seven-day average. WA, 43.7% increase, increase, but off a low base. Mm. Now, we don't know really how many cases are in Australia because we're not systematically monitoring this. It's a combination of rats and PCR testing. The more reliable measure is hospitalizations which lag cases, but hospitalizations were up on a weekly basis of 17.5%. So they're up too. On a daily average basis, there are about 1,200 people in hospital, 31 in ICU. And at the moment, there are six or seven deaths per day. Gosh, that, that feels like a lot. Now, 
The Dalesford tragedy on Sunday was of this week, as we're recording, was horrible, a tragedy. I mean, just makes you feel sick to your stomach. But this is a Dalesford every day. And when you look at the excess deaths at the moment, it's at the top end of the range. So it's not off the scale, but we've still got an excess death rate. Remind me what you mean by that. So it's not just COVID deaths, it's COVID-related deaths. And so are you seeing an increase in coronary heart disease, dementia, other causes of death? And the answer is yes. And it's assumed by ABS and by other statisticians that this is related to COVID. Um, so you've got, you've got people dying of COVID, absolutely direct COVID disease, and you've got people dying because they're at higher risk, particularly of cardiovascular diseases. So we know a big vulnerable group with COVID is older people. How is this playing out in residential aged care? So again, for the last statistics, we're able to get our hands on 226 outbreaks on a daily basis. So not, it's not every day. On, on any one day, on average, there's 226 outbreaks. 72 in New South Wales, 86 Victoria, 16 in WA, you get the idea. And in terms of proportion of residents to staff, there's about 1,200 residents cases, rolling average, and 511 staff cases. So still a lot of people working in residential care have got COVID. And the other salutary statistic is, makes me wonder why we're stopping coronavirus, actually, <laughs> but um, is... Emergency department presentations. So they're up too, as you would expect, because you get into hospital via the emergency department. So that's not a surprise. The interesting statistic there is, though, 50% of people presenting with children in an emergency department with COVID-19 are admitted. Right. I mean, you don't go to an ED unless you're pretty sick, but that I'm trying to figure out whether that feels like a lot. Half of people who are turning up are getting admitted to hospital. I think it's just a fact of the matter. Now, the other correlation here because now because we don't have mass testing you're really divining what's going on from other statistics the other statistic that's comforting in some sense is that the antiviral prescription rate is tracking the rise in cases so that's obviously keeping things under control particularly for the elderly and vulnerable population but that raises the issue is how well protected we are. Well, let's talk about that because, I mean, we're looking at such a different picture. I, I can't help but be a bit reflective, given that this is our last episode, but talk, looking at such a different picture at the end of 2023 than we were at the beginning of 2020, clearly. Um, well, even at the beginning of 2023. Yeah. I mean, so we've, we've had two waves. Well, this is the third wave, really, in 2023. And the first wave was at the beginning of the year, and that got up to about 53 deaths per day. And the second wave was in the middle of the year, June, July, and that got up to about 32 deaths. Now, hopefully we're not going to get there yet, but it could be that the better prescribing rate of antivirals and so on is keeping things under control. But of course, where you were going with that before was vaccines, one of the big defences that we have against it. I have been meaning to check for myself when I'm due for my next shot, because I've had like, I don't know, I don't even know how many I've had so far, but it, it's been a while. So a common question I get when I'm on air on TalkBack is, I've had five doses, when do I have my six? Because people, that's what we were trained to be tuned into, the number, the number of doses. Forget all that with, dose, with this now. We've really gone beyond that. Most Australians, 95% of Australians have had two doses. So they're, they've got their basic immunisation. But for a lot of Australians, it's been a long time between drinks, between needles. So the recommendation from the advisory committee, ITAGI, is that 
if you've not had a COVID-19 infection or an immunisation in the last six months, you get a booster. Now, the reason for that is if you've had an infection and you have an immunisation too soon, the immunisation doesn't work as well. It doesn't do you any harm, but you're not getting the benefit from the immunisation. When you look at the statistics and assume that people in residential aged care and people over 65 are among the most vulnerable, and not the only vulnerable people, but they are among the most vulnerable, then only 53% of people aged over 65 have had a booster in the last six months, and only 66% of people in residential aged care. Now, some of those people will have had COVID, and that's why they haven't had the booster. But we don't know how many. That's the statistic, which is going to be under what it should be, even if they have had COVID in the last six months, is going to be even worse for people under 65. So then the question that comes up when we talk about vaccines is what's the most up-to-date vaccine? You mentioned before that the variants continue to change and you're sort of always playing off your risk from not being vaccinated most recently with the chance that perhaps a better vaccine might be just around the corner. The existing vaccines give you pretty good coverage, even against the new variants, uh, sub-variants, I should say. But there is an XBB vaccine. So let, let me just describe what's happening with the variants, at least in Australia. Probably New South Wales gives you the best idea, although it's a little bit different state to state. If you look at the pattern of testing, which usually comes from, a lot of it comes from hospitals. People end up on hospital and they do PCR tests, but, or GPs might send you for a PCR. It's mostly Omicron still, but Omicron descendants. So there's a descendant called EG5 which has also been called Eris. There's another descendant, which is XBB. And if you look at the bulk of viruses in New South Wales and probably Australia are XBB, EG5, all part of that kind of family, which are more immune evasive, which is why they're spreading, but they don't seem to be more toxic or bad for you. Although if you're not immunised, you know, they are. There is an XBB vaccine that's been made by, I think, both Pfizer and Moderna. The TGA has approved them for use, and I'm told that they are landing in the country as we speak. And then the issue is the government getting them, distributing to pharmacies and general practitioners, and Atagi coming out with updated advice on the XBB vaccine. So in the near future... XBB vaccines will be available. And if they are, you should have them. Should you wait? Depends how vulnerable you are. If you're older and vulnerable and frailer, maybe not wait. And you haven't had the vaccine for a while. I can't give people advice. But that's the kind of, you know, the existing one's not that bad. XBB is better. And then you've got the other variants that people have been talking about, and we've talked about before on CoronaCast, which is uh, Parola, mm. BA2.86. Now, this is a virus that they were worried about because it goes back to BA2. So it's not part of this Omicron group. This is now back to BA2, which the was... The long lost three centuries. Great, great cousin. Yeah, that's right. In the 1300s, <laughs> you know, we had BA2. And this is there's a, there's a large number of mutations on this virus. Made them very worried. It was a significant mutational jump. It doesn't seem to be as transmissible. And it also doesn't seem to be that dangerous. And I think the New South Wales has only had about six cases of BA2.86. But it gives you an idea that you can still get big jumps. And the XBB vaccine apparently is pretty good for BA2.86. So that's where, we, that's where we stand. So we're leaving people with an alphabet of potential uh, variants kicking around, looking forward to vaccines coming through, continuing to sort of remember all the things that we know about just protecting yourself from any, any respiratory virus, not just COVID. But Norman, as we come kind of 
close off Coronacast. Uh, it's <laughs> more than three and a half years in crazy times. More than 500 episodes. Oh, well, well over 500 episodes now. What is your kind of main takeaway from the pandemic? My main disappointment is that I don't think the country's ready for the next pandemic, unfortunately. Um, so we still have resistance at government level to the idea that it's spread. The, the next pandemic will be a respiratory virus. It will be flu or another coronavirus. And so the way it's going to go is we're waiting on the next flu pandemic. So that's going to happen at some point. And now we're in an environment where that's likely also to be happening with coronavirus, where we go along like this with new variants, which don't make a huge amount of difference each time they come along, but we get reinfected. And then once every so often, there'll be a pandemic outbreak and it could be bad or not so bad. And that's the way we're going forward. And they're spread through the air. So it's masks, it's interior ventilation, it's indoor air quality regulation. We still care more about outdoor air quality than indoor air quality. You just wonder, the recent inquiries not actually looking into what the states did. They're only looking at the federal response and what the states did, arguably, since they ran services, was more important than what the feds did. I think for me, it's the same kind of vibe, this sense that the next pandemic isn't a question of if but when, which is what you always hear the experts say. They were saying it before 2020. They were saying right. it when we were reflecting on the Spanish flu pandemic 100 years on in 2018. And for me, it's my hope is that people retain trust in public health messaging and that this pandemic, it's been so hard for so many people that people like don't just switch off because, yeah, when the next thing comes, we do need to be able to respond to it and for people to sort of come along on that journey. That's right. The lockdowns were tough, no question about it, and possibly some states overshot on lockdowns, but they were really, really tough and Melbourne is a damaged city. I mean, people in Melbourne still are suffering from the effects of the lockdowns and if this happened again, you'd probably have to go to lockdowns again because you know, luckily... Next time around, if it's, if it's this version of coronavirus, we'll have vaccines and we've got vaccines that can do rapid turnaround, proven now. So it's a much shorter time frame to develop new vaccines. So next time, hopefully, it'll be much better and we might be able to avoid the sort of major shutdowns that we had. But that remains to be seen. And we might also be able to avoid having to have a dedicated podcast to it. Look, I just want to say to everybody who's been faithfully with us for the last three and a half years, millions of downloads and 200,000 questions in the first six months. It's been an amazing ride. And that's where we got the idea for what will follow on this feed. It's called What's That Rash? And it allows you to ask a broader range of questions of us. Because one of the things you kept on saying to us, I'm not sure we deserved it, is that you trusted what we said. You know, <laughs> more for you, perhaps. But no, no. But seriously, it's really hard to get trusted information. That's what we do in the health report. And that's what we want to do here. But in answering your questions. So send in your questions to thatrash at abc.net.au or on health Instagram at ABC Health. Send in your questions, send us a voice note, and we will try to get to them. And we're trying to answer questions about things that we know is life-saving stuff, but over a longer time period. So th questions about exercise, questions about the sorts of foods to eat, and questions about all the things that go into being healthy that are beyond maybe doctor-measured numbers, things like your mental health as well. So, yes, ABC Health Instagram, you can send us your question there, or as Norman said, thatrash at abc.net.au. And, of course, we haven't forgotten about you and your COVID worries too. We've got you covered on that on the health report. So we'll see you on either or hopefully both next week. See you then.
G'day, I'm tech reporter James Pertil. The very first time I used ChatGPT AI, I asked it to write a poem for my dog. The poem it wrote was heartbreakingly beautiful. Artificial intelligence is suddenly everywhere. It's driving cars, getting people sacked, and it's helping students with their homework. So how did we get here? Where's next? And who's in charge? In the new series of Science Friction, Hello AI Overlords, I'm finding out. Science Friction, 5pm Sundays on RN or anytime on the ABC Listen app.